Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Lori Jacob with the founder of Ignited Fundraising. Lori, thanks for taking time. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I asked you to come have a conversation today about um, boards of directors in nonprofit development work and kind of development committees more specifically. But before we dive into all of those things, can you just tell folks a little bit about Ignited Fundraising and the work sure. you do? Sure. My favorite topic. <laughs> Ignited Fundraising is a coaching training consulting company, uh, largely focused on using the modality of storytelling to help boards, staff, the entire organization, if you will, communicate powerfully, powerfully so they raise as much money as they actually need, which is sort of a, a, a not common thing that mm-hmm. happens as organizations tend to worry about the money. Right. And my goal is to, my, my vision really is to have some ease and joy in fundraising, and the communication part of that is what we say is what can cause people to take action. So using a mission moment story, I teach people how to find them, how to craft them, and also how to engage their board by using them, but also donors and volunteers. And I like to tell folks my metric, um, we all have measures of Mm -hmm. success, I've helped organizations raise $300 million from individual donors and counting. (laughs) We're still working, so uh, no retirement for a few more years. And there's lots of good work to do out there. Yes, there Um, is. I often feel when I start a conversation with a charity about how they're bringing resources to the table to support their work, um, that there is this uh, persistent thing in the sector about um, staff members or, or high-quality volunteers that sort of look at the board of directors and go, well, if they just brought in more money, if those people separate from me over there just did their jobs better, everything else would be easier. Um, and that's why I asked if we could just spend a little time talking about your experience, because you've been doing this a long time, and I, I think have also sort of felt like sometimes there's, uh, um, a, I'll call it a, a misperception about the, the role of the board here, but there's at least some miscommunication about how boards can support fundraising. So um, with that sort of big topic to start with, um, you've got a lot of resources on your website that begin to address this. And could you just kind of mention a couple of those? Sure. Well, you have two weeks, right? We're going to talk for two (laughs) weeks. This is a topic, you know, a big, big, broad one, but we'll dive in deeper. There's a couple of things. One, I have an ebook of worksheets and templates that is called Engaging Your Board, Mission Possible. Uh, It has everything from an application to a matrix that has you take a look at who do we have, what are their skills and talents, an onboarding process for that board orientation, which isn't just one meeting, it's actually over the course of their first year. Uh, There's a a self-assessment tool so the ebook is the the crux. Uh, there is a downloadable uh, another ebook called "The Nine Steps to a Successful Fundraising Campaign," and it addresses some of what you're saying. If that board would just do X Y Z, well, the truth is, I believe, and I think you do too. If you're not good at flying a plane, please don't fly it. <laughs> Especially if I'm on it. So if you're on our board and you're not good at fundraising, then let's find the skill that you have that serves us best. Right. Or why are you on the board? What are you bringing to the table? Because if... uh 
younger organizations in particular often will will grab the nearest warm body who says yes because they feel the scarcity thing of I don't have enough directors um, so I, I can't just turn anybody down. If anybody express interest, I must bring them on. And they maybe aren't the right fit for fundraising, but perhaps they're not even the right fit to be in a governance role with the organization. Maybe there's another volunteer role or some other way that they can contribute. Um, but I do think that as we look at the expectations around the development world in particular, uh, that's such a strong starting point of not every board member has to be the same at the fundraising work. Um, so let's begin with that sort of assumption. You know, is it really the board's job to they personally um, get money, or is it the job of governance to ensure that resources are at the table? And they maybe have other ways of ensuring it besides they themselves bringing the dollars in. Exactly. Well, the latter is right. is what I believe in. That it is our job to ensure the resources are there. Be it the staff, the equipment, mm -hmm. the database, the other people that come into contact with our organization. But I want to step back just a second. Please. Even before you join the board, that matrix that you use isn't just there to say, who do we have and what are their skills and talents? As our colleague and friend Kate Barr would caution us, uh, don't use a matrix unless you answer two important questions. First is, what are our goals for the next three years that this board must have to govern towards. Mm -hmm. And the second is, do we have the right people on the board to do that? Right. Even if you're one week old, a new nonprofit, answering those two questions will cause you to start to feel okay about saying no to some folks. Mm -hmm. And then identifying what are the skills and talents that we have to have in order to not be the best kept secret in town, <laughs> in order to invite right. people to our events, in order to, in some cases, if you're the board chair, the executive director, who is sometimes the only staff person, mm -hmm. to invite people to make a contribution of their financial resources. Mm -hmm. I think those are all important things to think about in, uh, and maybe without good communication back to staff or other stakeholders, there's an assumption that, well, the board is there to help raise money. Um, and if they have had this process and sort of thought, well, no, strategically, these are the goals that we need to accomplish. These are the skills that we need to bring to the table. Um, they have to then, I think, talk a little bit more within staff and, and other stakeholders in the community. How are we doing the financial part of it? Um, so I think a very common mechanism that gets talked about a lot is a development committee of the board. Um, and again, this is not to say that other board members are then free and clear and you know have said, oh, there's a development committee. I don't have to even think about that. But rather that that can be a focus of where is the board going to participate in the financial resources part of the mission work. So as you're looking at your um, matrix and things, uh, um, how do you talk to people about how they could structure committees if they're if committees are the right thing, uh, beginning that conversation? For sure, having committees n nicely partitions the group, mm -hmm. the board group, if you will, into skills and talents. As I see and have been on fundraising committees and utilized fundraising or development committees, their function is to be the source of that money conversation. Do we have enough resources? What are our financial goals? Do we have a fundraising plan, right. not a budget, an actual plan that shows where the monies will come from? And then the day-to-day -day function, 
that's pretty simple for a development committee is to ask questions like, who's given? Mm -hmm. Have we thanked them? Have we, the board members, actually thanked them? Do we know who our top 25, 50, 100 donors are by face, by amount of giving? And that's a whole other topic we can chat about. Mm -hmm. And is the board engaging in stewarding the relationship with those donors? If you're a small organization and you have less than 100 donors, it's a really easy thing to add five minutes into the board meeting and have people make a thank you call. If you're an established organization with 30,000 donors, might not be the best use of time because mm -hmm. there are many other governance issues to talk about, though I still would advocate making a thank you call is a good thing in those board meetings. But to have that be part of the function of the development committee, who should we be talking to? Who's in that, what we call the missing middle, those people who give $500, $750, could they do more? Mm -hmm. What do we know about them? And then being the, the, the red light, yellow light, green light around adding a ton of fundraising events, you know and I know the most important, the most efficient way to invite a financial contribution is to do what we're doing, mm -hmm. sit across the table from each other, talk about our interests, and invite an investment if that's feeling like the perfect thing to do. And the aside there is don't ask anybody unless they're ready. Mm -hmm. So once we've determined who are our people, maybe we've got less than 100 or maybe we've got 30,000. Who are those top people? And I don't mean the top donors that give the, the dollar amounts that are way, you know, $100,000 or $10,000. It's the people who have given over time the longest mm. as well as those top givers. I just uh, watched a development committee uncover sort of the nuggets of gold by paying attention to what they decided was their top donor criteria the staff brought the list and showed the giving history. And there were aha moments all around that fundraising committee about, I had no idea Walter had given to our Habitat affiliate that long. Mm -hmm. Have we talked to him about a planned gift? He volunteers. He's volunteered for 30 years. What else could we have him do? He gives us about you know 25 to $50 a year. But he's done that forever. Yep. So being the tending force to the money conversation, making sure at the board meeting, it's not just a report out. Mm -hmm. It's a, here's my role as development chair. And hey, Steve, I've got two people that I think you know. Let's have a conversation about what you know about them and how we might go about stewarding a, a deeper relationship with them. It's about relationships. Yeah. Well, and the internal relationships just as important as those external ones. So I think as we look at the expectations of a board development committee, mm -hmm. um, for them to be able to say within the, the board of directors that we have, and maybe it's because we have this uh, set of strategic goals that the whole board is working on where some of them are doing program uh, alliance work with other organizations or some of them are looking at governance questions or whatever. If the board does not yet have a really strong development committee just of board 
members. I think that there's a real opportunity for many charities to think to themselves, not everybody that is good at the communications, the storytelling, the relationship building stuff wants to be doing all the work of a board member, but they could be participating as a development committee member without being on the board. And I think this is the the biggest area I often run into with, with charities where they think board development committees all have to be board members and and expanding the amount of people, the number of, of hands on deck to do the work can really change what's possible to do. It's so limiting when you're only thinking inside your board yeah. as the, uh, the, the revenue source for time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there are people for whom attending one board meeting and giving some hands-on advice about why they give to other organizations would be the perfect fit right. for a new organization. There are other folks uh, our age or retired who may be the perfect fit to serve on a development committee because they've served on so many boards and they know the importance of what this function is to, to sort of be that that red light, green light, yellow light around putting too much on our plate. Mm-hmm. Are we managing staff's relationship to our productivity well? Are we doing what we said we would do? Having a, a seasoned, if you will, uh, board member uh, or former board member or donor or community volunteer or parent of a client or student, those are the criteria that I look for is who's got the passion to serve and then what value would they bring to the table in helping us reach our goals? Oftentimes, it's being the outsider that brings the value. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a great piece of advice for a lot to think about those things because sometimes um, you started out the conversation saying we need to have an actual fundraising plan, um, not a budget. And often the fundraising budget with organizations that are kind of struggling with this is we put together the expense budget and whatever wasn't filled from grants or earned revenue is now the fundraising budget. Not this is a reflection of what we can really get. This is how we're going to get it within these areas. But rather you guys have to make up the deficit. Go to it. Um, so, okay, I mean, we have to start somewhere. Um, but if if looking at that just sort of gap in a perceived um, need is just thrown at the floor of a development committee and saying, here, um, how do you recommend they start either structuring back to the board going, no, we, we have to talk about where our opportunities are and, and how much we can bring in from that, not necessarily what do you feel like you need and then we either get there and stop or we don't get there and staff cuts happen or some kind of combination of that. That part of the process, I think, doesn't work particularly well um, all in all the charities that I've um, had a chance to work with. So I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience of what does it mean to develop a plan that's you know reasonable and actionable for the group that's at hand? Oh, my. A hot button of mine <laughs> is planning because, you know, really it's plan, 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 execute. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple things I'd say about the development committee and planning. One is to understand what a plan is. So to ask your board members who are serving or your volunteers who are serving on that development committee, where in your life have you put a plan together to go on a trip, to manage your household finances, uh, to lose weight? What were some of the criteria that you put into place to do that? Now, there are templates. I've got one. It's a 12-tab Excel spreadsheet that you can download on the free resources page of my website. Those tabs take you through the conversation of, 
What is our case for people to say yes? Mm -hmm. Who are our resources other than the 12 of us serving on the board? And then what does it actually take, cost, to deliver that event or that mailing? There's so many hidden costs. The the worksheet takes you through having to factor in some of those hidden costs. By the time you get through all of that figuring and what's what's our actual budget, there are some strategic questions to ask. Where should we best focus our time? on one or two key places that will increase revenue. For a small organization, that might be simply to generate 100 more donors Mm -hmm. over the course of a year at $250 or more. So smart goals, measurable by a time limit, Mm -hmm. and then figuring out a process for it. For a larger organization who's maybe not had a development committee before but has a number of donors, It might be to let folks know we're inviting participation, investment. Notice the word choices I'm making. At the $1,000 and above level for a multi-year investment. And here's what, and this is where the story comes in, Mm -hmm. here's what your investment will make happen. By the time you've done some of that strategic thinking, you can now get to figuring out what is our plan for the coming 6 to 8 to 12 to 18 months? Always taking a look at, do we have a strategic plan? So the areas of focus that you're thinking about, is our strategic plan to raise awareness? Is it to grow our programming? Mm-hmm. Well, then how is the development committee participating in doing that by inviting folks in to learn more about our programs when we're inviting them to make a gift. Now, making sure that all of the work of the strategic plan isn't done in silos. Our job as a development committee is really to be sort of the the basket, if you will, that holds some of the messaging, Mm -hmm. some of the programming growth, uh, because we're raising the dollars or at least stewarding the process of raising the dollars for that program but then also making it exciting, uh, enticing, and factual. What will your gift of $100 do? One of the best ways of putting a plan together is to look at what's worked, what it actually costs to do that, filling in those hidden costs, and what hasn't worked. I've watched organizations, in fact, implored them to lose half of the events that they hold and start to focus on allowing the development staff, if they have one, or the development director, time to meet with a donor once or twice or daily, once or twice a week or daily, if Mm -hmm. it's the development, a larger development staff, so they can actually invite those gifts at a major gift level that they're not having time to do because they're figuring out what color the balloons are (laughs) or the napkins should be at the next event. Well, let me um, ask you to kind of talk a little bit about that hidden cost thing when it comes to events, because I think one of the the biggest ones that rarely gets accounted for here is the amount of staff time that it's supposed to support these. So if the development committee comes to staff and says, we want to do the big gala, uh, so, um, you know, we're going to do these three or four things and you staff can just pick up whatever's left um, without really quantifying how much staff time then has to go into all the creation of 
um, sponsorship levels and communications around that and all of those sorts of things. There are absolutely times when I think that's a fine tool, but I do think that sometimes a development committee can point to things that are um, sort of off budget and going, go to, go to the staff with that. You know, we will come up with this great idea and we'll do two or three things on the list, but then we're going to expect somehow it gets done without really looking at the total costs of making that thing happen. Which is why I say, you know, sit down and factor in what does it take for you as a committee to go secure those silent auction items mm-hmm. What is your time? We know what the measurement of time is here in Minnesota for a volunteer to do some work. So factor that in to the budget. Then what does it take to give that project to the staff to actually implement? And that's one, you know, one hundredth of what has to happen if you're having a gala that has a silent auction. Right. Documenting, taking the time to plan. So documenting what are the tasks for an event and giving a time factor to them sounds probably overwhelmingly tedious. <laughs> and yet, if we don't, we don't know what the hidden costs are. So adding a gala to a staff of three, and they're mainly focused on program, the gala will fail or it won't meet the fundraising goals, especially if we know what some of those costs are that just either frankly won't get done or as we grow have been being done by volunteers. Mm -hmm. So if you're not telling the truth about what it actually takes to put on my eye roll here, (laughs) golf tournament, gala, silent auction, Mm -hmm. they're great events when you have planned efficiently for them. They're time eating machines if you have not. Right. And how many people are at the table to do those things? There are times when you're doing your fund development plan with your committee where you do look at the resources and go, we do have a group of folks that love the golf event and they'll just do everything and we can mostly just show I mean, there'll always be some work to do, but, you know, more or less we show up and then, you know, we, we have good stuff. But I think often uh, your point earlier about are we cultivating relationships with donors that would give more meaningfully if they were having that one-on-one conversation? Or is this um, a quick and easy donor acquisition thing where we're doing a coffee meeting, we have practically no dollar out, it's just the staff time kind of thing. And it is about acquiring names of people to start the conversation with because as you pointed out very early in this talk, um, you, you don't ask people for money until you know they're ready to hear that message and, and be receptive to it. And if the very first thing is, hi, I represent Charity X, would you give us money? Um, I, I don't think you're going to have the same as, you know, hi, we're with Charity X, would you come learn about us? Can you, you know, come talk to us about why what we do is important? Your friend so-and-so on the board thought you might really enjoy that. Those are different strategies, different tactics, but the committee's got to be really clear. That's not going to make you any money. That's going to introduce right. you to some people. Well, I'm going to go back to something that I mentioned earlier, and that is, you know, as you're overseeing who's on your board or your committee, your finance committee, your development committee, your program committee, really asking those two questions again. What are the top three things we must accomplish? And do we have the right people to do that? If we pause to do that and give the honest answers to those questions versus Well, we can't say no to her being on the committee because she gives Mm $10,000 a year. And actually saying, what if we ask Irene to be an advisor 
to this committee. Right. And we meet with her one-on-one occasionally, not then, you know, dissing any of that advice and time that she wants to give, mm-hmm. but filling the seats with actual doers to, if we have a capital campaign, mm-hmm. we are solicitors then. If we have a gala or a golf tournament, we are the people that start to execute some of the doing and the tasks. Right. If we're uh, going to be a grant-focused organization, which I'm always uh, surprised by and a little uh, saddened by board members who will come in and say, oh, I just heard you can get a grant from this right. organization. <laughs> yep. Just write it up and I think it'll be fine. But then measure the time it takes to do that. So that again, when you're and, planning- And know the real competition. And know the competition. Right. Also know the fact, the giving fact, that it's about 5% of giving that comes from corporations, about 14% that comes from foundations. Right. And with bequests and individuals, it's 80% of giving to charity in the United States that comes from people like you and I. Mm-hmm. So to have some- measures to have a plan that says, we know what we're going to focus on because we want to have a diverse portfolio of giving. So we'll have 20% of our fundraising come from corporations and foundations. We're going to have a larger percentage maybe come from government funding, and then some come from individual donor giving. Then you build your program and your plan based on that. What often happens, and you know this too, we're doing the doing so fast yeah. that we just don't pause. Yep. So I, I do work with organizations and I tell them it, it's a boot camp. It's five weeks. We'll put together a fundraising plan by the end, but you have to have two board members participate, hopefully from your development committee, mm-hmm. and we dig into the numbers. We dig into the numbers for two weeks of meetings and then start to craft a plan. So we know what worked, what didn't, and do we have the capacity? So we can have on that parking lot things like, okay, we'll do a gala in, you know, next two years sometime when we have grown the board and or the staff. But right now it's a mailing individual donor fundraising and in here in Minnesota, give to the max day. Right. And that's what our plan consists of completely. So we'll focus on that. It's the diversionary fundraising. I just heard yeah. about the, well, the ice bucket challenge. Why sure. didn't it work for us? Well, because it wasn't supposed to. We are a school and mm-hmm. dumping water on your head really isn't a good idea, you know. Right. Making sure that you step back. I believe staff's job is to remind us that we have to take some time to plan. And if you're on the board or on a volunteer, you're a volunteer on a committee, it's our job to say we need time to plan. And do that. You're sort of building the plane while you're flying it. You know, do that mm-hmm. planning while you're running the organization, while you're governing, while you're checking to see who's given. If I can, I want to divert to one measure that's really important, sure. uh, donor retention and acquisition. Yeah. Two numbers that board members often don't know and the development committee must know. So asking for data, even the request of the data you know this too, Steve. 
sometimes causes a huge upheaval. Absolutely. We don't have a database. We have it in Excel. We can't yep. figure it out. Oh, we don't have donor records going back more than two years, three years, five years, whatever it is. So asking the question, do you know what your donor retention and acquisition rate is for the last two to five years as a board member, as a development committee member, will start the process of planning. Mm-hmm. at an easy jump-off point because right. now you have to do the work to get the data. Right. If you can determine that you've got a 1,000 prospects that used to be regular donors that have dropped off, um, your opportunity to be successful reconnecting with those people is very different from saying, well, we've only got 300 donors to begin with. Yes. So acquisition becomes more of a focus until such time as the pool of conversation is big enough that you can start seeing who really is invested in this and who just gave because their friend dumped a bucket of water on their head and they just have no interest in giving ever again. And um, I think that's one of the challenges with some of the more gimmicky things that development committees get thrown at is, um, you know, maybe we get a $25 donation on Give to the Max Day because somebody was at a train station with a donut. Um, and that's great. It's an introduction. But we have to fairly quickly then focus on how are we communicating the value of what we do to that person and measuring whether or not they really care or if $25 was just an easy, fun thing for them to do and they're not coming back to yeah. this particular table. Um, one of the challenges that I've always had with development committees and actually nonprofit fundraising in general is this letting go of uh, people that um, are are not giving because of the mission of the organization and a real heartfelt connection to it. They were giving for some other very fine reason and we should say thank you and we should be able to move on. But determining can we get those people back into believe in what we're doing and to become champions at some point? Or if we can't, let's know that and kind of mark them into an archive file and move on. Charities are not particularly good at, at that. And I think that, honestly, most development committees don't help in that. They, right. they sort of just insist, have we direct mailed everybody? <laughs> One of the things that development committee members can and should do is to take a look at, in our stewarding, uh, if in this relationship building effort, mm-hmm. have we as a board taken on knowing a handful of folks? Yeah. Maybe you know two and I know two or three, but at our next event, be it the golf tournament or the gala or church or the grocery yeah. store, do we go up to that person and say thank you? I like to call it a scavenger hunt of gratitude. (laughs) I love that. So I know my people that I'm looking out for at the next event. And when I go up to them, they know I'm genuinely thanking them. But I've got now my homework. I don't just go to the luncheon or the tour of our building or the golf tournament with the idea that I'm going to have a good time. You get to have a good time, but as a board member... Part of your role is to be an ambassador. Right. Part of your role is to steward a relationship with a handful of supporters so that that donor retention rate goes up. Yep. So um, we're, we are going to eventually start running a little low on time. Speaking of, we could do this for two weeks. But um, you have a, another resource that you um, pointed out, an, an article about 10 tips for engaging a board that I think is a um, piece I don't want to um, miss in this conversation because um, sometimes I think that the development committee um, is not having great expectations of a relationship with staff and all the rest of it. But often it's also the other way around where um, the nonprofit itself doesn't really understand how it's supposed to be utilizing a board in ways to support the mission growth. 
a lot of which is you know helping with the financial resource, but not all of it. Um, so there's some great specifics in here that I want to make sure we, we talk a little bit about. And I don't know if there's any favorites on that list you want to make sure we start with, but there's just some great tips for that engagement thing. Well, there's a couple things that may or may not be on the article to download. Mm -hmm. uh, but one is, how are we communicating? Are we being clear after the board meeting? Does the, do the minutes go out within 24 hours with an action grid that says what everybody promised so they don't have to hunt in the notes of the meeting to find out who opens the attachment <laughs> like until the day before the next meeting, right? So that grid of what are the actions and by when and who said it. The communication that we have is supposed to inspire them. If you have a board meeting that you notice people are checking their phone or their eyes are wandering or they're flipping through their papers, we as staff haven't done a good job in making sure this, and I call it a performance, is actually causing these people who have said, they've raised their hand and said, I believe, I will give my time, I will give my dollars. If we haven't done that in that hour and a half, two hour, nine, whatever the length of your meeting is, it's back to the drawing table for us yeah. to find out how to. So a couple things. Make sure you use a consent agenda. Make sure you orient people to showing up and being there. Don't just gloss over if someone doesn't show up. Assign a peer, a board member to call that person and say, hey, Steve, we missed you. Your, your place at the table is really key to us. Uh, then if you have a consent agenda, don't go over the whole packet at right. the board meeting or you're training people to not do what you want them to do. I just had this conversation the other day. Tracy said, Lori, they don't read the packet. I said, then put some, some hidden fun things in there for them. The M&M writer. The M&M writer. Sure. Exactly. Where are the green M&Ms? In the yeah. packet. Mm -hmm. uh, they could be something fun like a gift card to have coffee or you get the round of applause, the first round of applause because you hit email reply and said, I completed. You know, whatever it is, uh, have it be fun to participate and meaningful. The other thing is to have a conversation about accountability. Yeah. I think this is, I'm, I'm going to break in for just yeah, a second here because yeah. I think this is such an important emphasis that um, getting back to that scarcity mentality that we mentioned earlier, that sometimes you look around the table and you do see the board members, some of whom were cajoled, um, not <laughs> right. that they raised their hand. Or and, strong arm. Right. They, they didn't say, I really so believe in this that I want to find how I can meaningfully contribute to it, but rather some other board member or the ED said, oh my gosh, we don't have nearly enough people on this board. Um, you're a nice person. Can and you, you won't please have to do anything. Right? We won't ask you to do anything. Just show, show up. up. Mm -hmm. um, if we have that expectation and have communicated that with them, then of course they're not going to um, meaningfully engage when they get there. But that means the, the accountability of if you don't show up, what's the mechanism to have you gracefully removed um, so that we just move past that? And uh, I've been on some boards where we've had to um, really work at the idea of making that an automatic thing, not, a, oh gosh, we should think about it. But right. Or if let's you, give them another try. Right. If you fail to attend, 
um, X number of times within X number of meetings, um, your seat is vacated and we go try again. And and that's that's one very simple communication about accountability that your seat at this table is important. So I'm sorry to jump in, but that one is a hot button for me that you've got to communicate that it's important that they're there. And if they can't be there, they should exit. At the get-go, before I even get invited to be on the board. And part of that, you know, grabbing people off the street and tossing them on the board goes away if you have an application, if you actually have some guidelines. This is what our expectations are. What are yours? Here are the board meetings, the dates for next year. Do you have any conflicts? Uh, Here's the process. If we, for some reason, decide this isn't a good fit, making it okay to have those accountability conversations in a comfortable and it really should be peer-to-peer way. It's yeah. not appropriate for me, the executive director, to call you up and say, you're out. It's a board chair discussion. Right. And if you've chosen a board chair or board president that isn't able to have those conversations, it's time to move them to a position of support. One of the things that I say in this article, but also just in general, it is 100% staff responsibility for board members to be great. And it is 100% board members' responsibility to do what we said we would do. 100% board giving is critical. If you want to invite people from the community to give, the development committee should be enforcing that. That's a peer-to-peer conversation. Once a year, we solicit each other, and we get that 100%. I'm not saying you have to ask for a certain amount, but ensure that. Uh, The development committee can be the people keeping the, what I call, money conversation alive. What is where we're at today, and where do we have to go financially? And let's talk about that all year long instead of at the end of the year when we send out that last appeal and we hope and pray and cross our fingers that we get $90,000 in when we only raised 40000 last year. If you keep that money conversation tied to a person and the development committee is saying, wait a minute, let's not hop over the topic of what might be considered a shortfall. There's a gap. Mm-hmm. And you have a gap at the beginning of your fiscal year, calendar year, talk about that at the board meeting, at the development committee level. The other thing is to not have it feel like I have to know everything when I join the board. Right. There are board members who have been on a board for a very long time. There are board members who are brand new, and they would be a great asset because of their energy, their questions, but they might not know you really do have to read the consent agenda ahead of time. You really do have to be at all the meetings and the four events we said we would measure attendance at. Assign them a buddy and then talk about what that means to be a buddy. I've got one organization that provides a report card to board members. Oh, interesting. And it's a literal, you know, eight and a half by 11. You open it up, it's in their board packet, but it's based on what that board member said they would do and it's got a little feedback from their board buddy on how they're doing. Now, thanks for having coffee with me and talking through your frustration about mm-hmm. whatever topic or the finances or help, you know, le- letting me help you understand where we're at with that issue on the agenda. It doesn't have to be that formal, but having, you know, back to our hot button of accountability, if someone on staff didn't show up <laughs> or didn't come prepared, they wouldn't have their job. The board position 
governs the organization, it's equally as important. So make it fun to feel accountable. Have the conversation about what we could be doing when we are even more accountable versus a, a bonk over the head saying, you're not doing enough. Right. No, I think those are really important. And um, as we look at the development committee function in particular, this 100% um, participation question comes up a lot. Uh, and I think that it is important to define that um, personally meaningful gift question um, because it, it really structures not just the, the culture within the board, but that idea that whenever anybody contributes to your work in a meaningful way to them personally, that is worthy of that thank you huge, moment. Huge. Um, so do donors that are able to do four and five figures get different kinds of attention? Yes. I mean, um, but that doesn't mean that people that make a meaningful gift that is less than that don't also get that personal call or whatever. They may not have coffee to talk about estate planning, but they, they certainly should be getting that same level of we really value that when you've stepped forward and said, this is where I give this year, even though it may be not as much as somebody who's financially better off. Um, and that that begins with the board culture of everybody participates in something that's meaningful to them. And right. I always talk to folks about this of um, if you would notice that amount of money missing in your bank account, right? Yeah. Um, so somebody that throws $25 at a problem that doesn't think about throwing $25 at lunch, that's not a meaningful gift. That's right. just, you know, an easy thing to do um, as opposed to some folks in the world where a $25 gift is something that to plan about and they would notice it being gone. And that is just as important. And right. we got to talk about that culture of giving within the board and then how we translate that to the people that we're talking to outside the board. I'd like to say something about talking about money. Yeah. It's part of the board's role to discuss its, its um, how it's a tool. Mm -hmm. It isn't something to be ignored or talked about behind closed doors. It is actually okay for board members to know what size gift you made. Right. As board members, yep. uh, as other donors, it isn't okay to broadcast that, you know, on the front page of your website, unless you're having some contest and, you know, right. but think about, you know, the GoFundMe page, you can choose to be anonymous or you can choose to be right there. Mm -hmm. We want to have money conversations that are comfortable. And if the board brings fear and scarcity to that conversation, right. and especially the development committee brings the sky is falling chicken little conversation, we're in trouble. Yeah. Instead, focus on what has worked. What's the budget, but also what's the visionary number that we must get to in order to deliver our mission? The uh, aha moment that a lot of boards and development committee members have when I say this, what I'm going to say next is, is I can actually like palpably feel it. <laughs> I like to have people remember, we don't set a budget or a visionary fundraising goal based on what we think people can give. We actually set that goal based on what it takes to do the work. Mm -hmm. And when we're clear about that and we share that one person example and what did it take, not what does it cost, but really what did it take to deliver that care, that support, clean up that river, that's when we're actually removing some of the stigma and we're allowing it to be okay for people to make a financial investment that they're passionate about. Yeah. And it's our job to inspire the board to do that first and then community members and beyond. So 
setting a visionary fundraising goal is part of the development committee function, yep. not based on what we think people will give capital campaigns you and I've you know worked mm -hmm. on or yep. heard about in the multi-millions or billions. They didn't set out knowing where the money was going to come from, but they were clear about what it would take, what it would do, and the money came. Right. So whether you're raising $1,000 or $10,000 or $10 million or $10 billion, making it okay to talk about. And then how are we making sure the tools are there? That's really, you know, back to where we started. It's what our job is as a governance body and for sure a development, a fundraising committee. Yeah, we are just about out of time. So uh, we have covered some of the two weeks of conversation we could have here. Are there one or two last things you want to make sure you at least throw on the table um, before we wrap up today? I would say treat the communication you have with your board members as if it is with your most trusted friend and advisor, your closest confidant. What do you, what do you need them to know to mm -hmm. do a good job? How can we best support them if we are staff? How can we best support each other if we are the board? How can we best support each other if we are volunteers serving on one of those committees? And then the other is please don't expect anyone to do something that they're not comfortable doing. Yeah. Educate them. Spend time at board meetings, you know, providing some of that uh, development time, the training time on areas, risk management, you know, things that board members might not know a ton about to make it okay to learn in the process. That's how I think people come back and want to serve again because they had a rewarding experience. That such a strong final piece of advice. So let's uh, wrap by just asking to um, tell people how they can keep in touch with all the resources you mentioned and the great work that you do. Well, thank you. Ignitedfundraising.com is mm -hmm. the website. There is a free resources tab if you scroll across the top of the site. And there are some videos, some downloadable ebooks, and some worksheets and templates, and for sure the 10 tips for engaging your board article that uh, we just cut, touched on a couple of things. But I also welcome people to just reach out to me directly, and there's a contact page on the website to do that. Great. So, Lori Jacob with founder of Ignited Fundraising, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.